the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel. I love the Gospel of John. If I had to pick one of my favorite Gospels, remember when we did the the book of Matthew, and I said, I was almost changing my mind on my favorite Gospel. So I'm sure by the time I finish John, it, it will be back to John instead of Matthew, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke is known as the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means seen together, a certain view together, in the same content together. All of these gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're necessary. Because you never have a complete picture of Jesus by reading just one of these gospels. You need all of them. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke cover largely the same territory. You have his birth. You have the parables. You have all of the miracles that Jesus do. And then in two of those gospels, you have the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So they cover mostly the same material. Now, they each have a different emphasis, a different unique view of Jesus. Of course, Matthew is written principally for the Jew. And it emphasizes Jesus as the Messiah, the King of Israel. That's why Matthew repeats over and over again that it might be fulfilled. Mark has the Roman in mind. His great emphasis is Jesus being a servant. Mark doesn't deal with the genealogy or Jesus' birth. When he starts his gospel, it jumps right off with John the Baptist in the wilderness. And we go from there. He's a man of action. Romans were people of action. I call Mark the Twitter gospel. If you're you're in a hurry and you don't have much time to sit down, you just read the gospel of Mark real quick and it will suffice. It's very first uh, fast pace. The Romans were a people of servanthood, and they highly esteem servanthood. God, knowing this, said, let me show you the greatest servant that ever lived. Luke's emphasis is on Jesus's humanity, probably written with the Greek in mind, who, if they didn't worship the human body, reminds me of Americans, they certainly high esteemed it. The Greek never understood the thing with uh, the Jewish circumcision. To them, it was a mutilation to the human body. They couldn't get over that. And if you were a Jewish boy and you were a good athlete, if you wanted to go and participate in the Grecian games, they would do a reverse circumcision. They practiced that. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Verse 18, when he says, was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. That's what you had to do to to go into the Grecian games there because they deified man, the human body, the perfect man they were looking for. Jesus, knowing all of these things, heaven says, let me show you the perfect man, the God man. I want you to study him and tell me what you think and see if you don't conclude that only Jesus Christ is the one that really should be worshiped. 
Then we have the Gospel of John that we'll look at. And it's written to the entire world. Its emphasis is on Jesus as God. If you get nothing else from this Gospel, John, the Apostle of Love, says, I want you to understand, make no doubt about it, that Jesus is God. The deity of Jesus Christ. And so you put the four Gospels together, and you have heaven communicating to man. Matthew's Gospel, behold, your king. Mark's Gospel, behold, your servant. Luke's Gospel, behold, the man. And John's Gospel, behold, your God. All of them communicating this beautiful message concerning Jesus Christ to us. Now, the Holy Spirit's purpose in writing the Gospel of John is found almost at the end of the book when John tells us in chapter 20, verse 30, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah. He says the Son of God, that he is deity, and that believing you may have life in his name. And we will see this word believing. He repeats it twice in verse 31. And all the way through the gospel, John is saying by the Holy Spirit, you must believe in this man. It's important to do that because if you don't place your faith, if you don't place your trust in the person of Jesus Christ, you're doomed, you're damned unto an eternal hell. He states it right there because believing this about Jesus. That's where we find life in his name. And so continually he brings up this word believing all the way through the book. The method that John has chose by the Spirit to the people to believe this about Jesus, he puts before us seven miracles of Jesus and seven great I am statements that he makes. You know, John says, if I would have put all of the miracles, all of the things that Jesus did while he was on this planet, he says the books couldn't contain him. So John, by the Holy Spirit, he takes seven miracles, seven signs. And what John is saying, when he did these signs, he did them for a reason that you may believe that he is the son of God, that he is God. More than that, we have to understand that he is doing these signs for a reason that you will believe. Remember when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush and he commissions him to go to Egypt and and, and rescue the children of Israel from bondage? Moses asked an important question. Who shall I say sent me? And the Lord said to him, I am that I am sent you. I've always been, I am now, I always will be. In fact, when you look at the scriptures, there's no past tense or present tense when God is speaking. He is the self-existence one. He's right when and where we need him. So seven times in this gospel, Jesus will say, I am. I am the way. The way to what? 
He is Jacob's ladder, the way to heaven, the way to have eternal life in Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. Over and over again, he's communicating. And the Jewish mind understood that Jesus is stating that he is divine. These first 18 verses is what's called the prologue. If any given passage in the gospel is of, uh, is of most important, it's this prologue, these first 18 verses, because these, this prologue tells us the gist of what's going on that will go on in the rest of the book of John. So it should merit very much importance as we look at it. And John jumps off right off the bat with the high Christology of Jesus Christ. He's wanting us to understand, no doubt, that Jesus is God. The reason I believe John is doing this, because at this time in the first century, almost going into the second century, the Jew was saying that it was all about Torah the first five books of the Bible. Obey Torah, follow Torah, all of these things. Jesus Christ has died, he's come, he's resurrected, and John is saying, you shouldn't follow Torah. You should follow the Savior, Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the embodiment of Torah. So if you follow him, you don't have to worry about following the law. That's, what is, that's what's the issue that's going on in the synagogues. He is the word made flesh. We won't look at a lot of verses this evening, this morning, but we'll look at about five of them. First one, in the beginning, and it's, every time I read that, it sounds like Genesis 1. In the beginning was the word. That sounds strange to me, the word, talking about a human being, a person, an entity with a human body. But to call the personality by the term the word, it sounds mystical to me. What's with calling Jesus the word? Well, the Jews would sometimes refer to God as the word. The word in Hebrew is memra. The Greek word we probably all know is logos. The Jewish people, they, they have such a high standard. They venerate the, the name of God so much, they never say Yahweh. They would either say Adonai, or they would use the word Hashem, which means the name. So they never spoke the word Yahweh, and we know they never wrote it. Or sometimes in their writings, in the Targums, which was the uh, commentary of the Old Testament, they would simply use the word memra or the word as a reference for God himself. So it was familiar among the Jews once again. If you were to say the word, they understood that to be God. But also in that day and age among the Greeks, they believed in what they called the logos, the word. And that was a term used by Greek philosophers. The Greeks understood 
that the world in which we live have a level of design or at least predictable patterns. They understood that the light would come in the morning and in the evening it would become dark. They understood that the rotation of the planets and seasons and what they would think there must be a a divine principle that's doing all these things. But they, they didn't think far enough because they were thinking with their minds. The Jew would say, if there's a thought, there must be a thinker. And behind that thought is God himself. And you know, they were close, but close, as you've heard before, only matters in horseshoes and hand grenades. So if that's as far as they got thinking about God, they would open their eyes in hell because that thinker behind that is the tree on God. And that's what John is wanting them to understand here. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the ordering principle. And the word was with God and the word was God. And then if you would take your eyes to verse 24, it says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt tabernacle. That should ring bells among us. Remember when Solomon began to dedicate the temple and he says this. Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant, David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand, as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant, David, my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. And then he says in 1 Kings 8, 27, Solomon says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple, which I have built. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. What grace is that? He continues to say, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, speaking of the Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 1 of John is the declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ. When the beginning began, Jesus was already there. Because he is eternal. In other words, when when he came into that manger on Christmas Day, he didn't begin to exist at that point in time. He always existed. So what we have is a plurality in the Godhead. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That word with literally means face-to-face. You can't stand face-to-face with Jesus Christ. I can't stand face-to-face with Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ can stand face to face to God, and he's the only one. Now, concerning God, the Bible teaches that there is one God manifested in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. Remember when Jesus gave his great commission? He says this in Matthew 28, 19. I want you to catch it. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. He doesn't say in the names. He says in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Name singular. One name, one God, but three persons within the Godhead. People tell me, but one plus one plus one is three. But when it comes to the Godhead, you can't use addition. You must use multiplication. One times one times one is one. That's the Godhead. That's who we serve. And that's the way it is. People will say, I don't, you don't have to understand this tree on God. But what we do and what we must do is believe what he says. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.16 at the beginning. Catch it. He says, and without controversy. No dispute about this thing. This is the way it is. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And he goes on to there and he begins to speak as he goes down that that, uh, epistle. He begins to speak of Jesus Christ. And this one, one of the things that everyone must accept, one of the things that everyone, every believer must accept about God. If they are going to have a personal relationship with him, understand whenever the finite, that's you and I are in a relationship with the infinite, that's God, then there's going to be a point. Remember this as you walk through your life. There's going to be a point in that relationship where there's going to be a mystery. What do I mean by that? It's like if anybody knows me, math, I'm okay. Algebra, once it gets to algebra, I'm through with it. I cannot track any farther. That's just me when it comes to math. Well, that's following Jesus Christ. You can track with him. You're tracking with him, but you can track with him only so far because he's infinite. And you have to just lay it down and say, Lord, because you say it, I'm going to believe it. I don't understand how you're going to do it. I don't understand all of your ways because you're infinite. Matter of fact, the Bible says once we enter heaven, we will spend eternity doing what? Learning of him. So how can my little pea brain understand everything that he's doing right now in my life? I I can only track with him so far and then I have to do what a Christian should do, what the Lord has called us to do, walk by faith and not by sight. There comes a point because once again, he's infinite. 
That's what he's saying here. Give you an example. Moses is at the Red Sea. The children of Israel, they're complaining. Pharaoh's army is behind them. He begins to cry out to God. Remember what he says? Why do you cry to me? That's what Yahweh asks. Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Moses didn't sit there and say, okay, let's, how is this going to work? Mm-mm. He had to take that by faith. And that's what he did. The five senses must bow down to faith to thus saith the Lord. There comes a time you have to do that. We can't track with our finite minds as we're getting bit by those fiery serpents of backbiting, of slander, of gossip. But if we would just look at that serpent on that brass pole, even though we are bitten, we're going to survive. You have to accept that by faith. When we walk with the Lord, that's how we must walk. If we only believe what our little finite minds can understand, listen, we will be like the Jehovah Witnesses and other cults who cannot and will not accept the mysteries of God and wanting to solve every kind of mystery, even if it means error in doing so. The plurality of the Godhead, it began very, very early in the Bible. In Genesis 1, matter of fact, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, that plural word there is Elohim. We have El, that's singular for God. And then we have Elah, that's dual. And then we have Elohim, meaning three or more. But I don't want to leave you there. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27 tells us this. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, all plural pronouns. We have a conversation going on as it relates to the creation of man. And notice it's God saying, let us. He says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, some say, The father there is speaking to angels, but that can't be. Because then in verse 27, he says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. If he was talking to the angels, we would have been created in the image of God and the angels. The only people talking in this conversation is the Godhead. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the great Shema says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Bible teaches clearly that there is one God. That verse alone wipes Mormonism off the map in terms of something 
to be considered seriously. That's why with Mormonism, you have, what are their books? The Pearl of Great Price, Doctrines and Covenant. You have the Book of Mormons. You have every effort possible to keep you from reading the Bible. I want you to listen closely to this. The problem is, anytime you have a subsequent revelation that you claim has come from God, it must always, it must always be tested by prior revelation. That's theology 101 right there. That's the way it it goes. And if it violates the prior revelation, then you hold to the prior revelation and you reject the subsequent revelation. You will never be in error if you do those things. The problem is these other books utterly fail the previous revelation. The Hebrew word that is used in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord their God, the Lord is one. It's a very interesting word. The word is akkad in the Hebrew. It means one, but it refers to a compound one. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. There's another word in the Hebrew language for one, and it's yahid. And it refers to an absolute indivisible one. If the Lord had said in his great Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is Yahid, an indivisible one. And then we turn to the New Testament, to John's gospel, and we read, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We would close our Bibles, and I would tell you all to go home. The Apostle Paul said we would be most men miserable. Because what would that mean? We have no Savior. But the Holy Spirit doing as he knows how to do, and because he's a God of truth, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thou God, the Lord is a cod, a compound one, the Godhead. So it's the same thing when we get to the New Testament and we begin to learn of Jesus Christ. So in chapter 1, verse 1 of John, and we're going to sit here, if you don't know by now, because it's important to get the theology out of this, because that's going to be the battle all the way through the scriptures in the book of John, facing the synagogues, facing uh, the religious people, because they continue to say Jesus is not God. And John says, yeah, the beloved, yes, he is. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Here you have God the Son facing, once again, God the Father. Remember Jesus's high priestly prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. He says this in John 17, five. And now, O father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which we had, when? Before the foundations of the world. Wow, that's amazing. 
you cannot make a stronger statement for the deity of Jesus Christ than the one John makes here. The word was God. In fact, it is so clear and so strong that those who don't want to believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, as in the case of the Jehovah Witnesses, they must resort to horrific things to try to distort the verse and confuse the verse and to confuse the clear teaching of John 1.1. And what they have done in that New World Translation is they have inserted in violation of the scriptures, of the manuscript. This is how it reads in the New World's translation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was, and then they insert a God. And they do this knowing a willful knowing of the truth that every manuscript, when it comes to this verse, says, and he was God. They put a God. And the reason they put a God that, in the same way as the judges in the Old Testament were gods, and that they took a position in which they represented God, that is the deliberate, willful, known act a falsity there on the part of the leaders of the Jehovah Witnesses to deliberately come against the teaching of John 1.1. But John 1.1 completely dismantles the entire religious system known as Jehovah Witnesses. You cannot believe in John 1.1 and remain a Jehovah Witness because the two things are absolutely contrary to themselves. The reason I'm camping here every morning, now this is a new year. You know, you make those new year resolutions. I start mine tomorrow. (laughs) You make these new year's resolutions. And I said, you know, I drink too much coffee. I'm going to slow down on my coffee. Now, I get my coffee from QT. I told you guys that before. My wife goes to that other place, but, you know, I don't have the money for that. But, but what, what irritates me, and I know sinners are sinners. They're like a goat, a goat in a hailstorm. They don't know the truth. But every QT and every supermarket I go to, Jehovah Witnesses are everywhere spreading those lies. If only true believers would be as adamant, would be as uh, uh, just, just had the passion that they do, but they're spreading lies. And we need to know the truth. And when they come knocking at our door, we need to tell them the truth. That's what Jesus wants us to do. They are blind sinners. And the blind are leading the blind, and they both will fall into the ditch. People need to know the truth. Part of my responsibility as a pastor is to make sure that all of us is equipped to stand on our own biblically as it relates to these things. In terms of Mormonism, the greatest numbers, and I looked this up, of their converts 
are people with a Christian background. Wow, that's sad. Because these people who uh, convert to Mormonism, they don't know the word of the gospel. Know your word. Read your word. At least go through your word from Genesis to Revelation one time a year. Do that. Let the truth just penetrate into your heart. Because that's what we need to stand on. Go to Wednesday night evening service. Go to a Scott Deanfelder does a great job every other Sunday. Exegetes the word very well. The women, their Bible studies. And the reason I harp, I'm harping on the women, we all like to be entertained. Jesus didn't entertain. His apostles did not entertain. He spoke the word in love and in truth. And that's what the women Bible study group, that's what they do. They get that Bible, they dive into it, and they speak truth. And that's where we need to be plugged in at. So do those things. I promise you I'm going to get to verse 3 right here. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, in Genesis 1.1, it says, once again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word created, we probably know, is bara, the Hebrew word, to create something out of nothing. The Greek ex nihilo, he spoke it into existence. I don't have to understand how he does it. He has all power, but I believe he did it. Christ alone in John's gospel is the mediator of creation. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17 tells us, For by him, speaking of Jesus Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. That's amazing. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him. And for him, that's us, and he is before all things, Jesus Christ. That's, bless you, that's important. It's important because in, the, in some of the old Jewish writings, the book of Sarah, which is also called the book of wisdom or the book of Ecclesiasticus, what they begin to say, and I think that's, this is where some people get, it for, get this from, is wisdom was at the beginning with God. And you know, Proverbs speaks of wisdom in chapter 8. And people try to say that if they, if they say anything that's correct when it comes to Proverbs chapter 8, I think it's verse 22 and 23, when he begins to speak of wisdom. It's a capital W there, so that gives it away, speaking of Jesus Christ. But what I'm wanting you to know, when the Godhead was there, nothing else was there. Nothing else. He brings wisdom into existence. This is even what the book of Ecclesiasticus says. He says this, but even in Sarak wisdom, 
He says, before the world, from the beginning, he created me. Once again, nothing but the Godhead alone. He continues, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 tells us, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. That definite article there, thee, helps us out. But the Hebrew reads, he has spoken to us by son, Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. No one thinks of me. No one loves me more than the Godhead. Psalms tells me his thoughts of us are more than the sands on the seashore. Before he made that stuff, I don't know about you guys, he was thinking of me. That's why I love him so much. And when I begin to get beat down sometimes by the world, Lord, are you sure you're here? Are you sure you're working for my behalf? I go back to Ephesians. This is for me, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and this is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. When it says, and we should be holy and without blame before him, that's passive. We have nothing to do with it. That's his act in us. He's going to make us like that. All I've got to do is hang out with him. All I've got to do is be in his word and be in prayer and let him have his way in me. It's going to happen. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That's how much he loves us. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That's the God we serve. That's the God we owe our allegiance to. He says in verse four, in him, Jesus Christ was life and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the source of life. I'm probably, let me look around. I'm, I might be the oldest dude up in here. My point is, do you remember, If you, some of you guys might understand this. Remember the Coca-Cola commercial where it says many years ago, Coke adds life. Remember that? Y'all got, I know the young people don't remember that. But they had a commercial, and it always spoke of Coke adds life. You've seen the T-shirts. You've seen the emblems of that. Well, I'm here to tell you neither Coke nor anything else in this world adds life, is life, but what the Scripture says, Jesus Christ. I will not find fulfillment in a job not when it comes to eternal life, and that's important. You don't think that's important. Wait till you die. You will find out how important it is. Eternal life, Ionios life, is in Jesus Christ. 
And that's the goal. That's why John is writing this by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so easy to begin to run after other things. Education, and that's good and well if it's in its right perspective. A good job, all those other things, that, th- those things are well. Not knocking any of those things. What I'm knocking, what the Lord knocks, what the Holy Spirit is saying, I will have no other God before me. Once again, before me means in my presence, in my view. I'm God. I woke you up this morning. I'm giving you the breath you breathe right now. I provide for you. That's 2022 good news right there. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. Because if we're in covenant relationship with God, through his son, Jesus Christ, He's going to take care of those things. He says, I'm life. There's three different kinds of life the scripture speaks of. First is bios. We get the word biology from. And if you catch that word much in the scriptures, because I pulled it up and I looked at it in the New Testament, that word is only used about two or three times in the entire New Testament. Why is that, Lord? Because that's kind of a backhanded swipe at bios life. That's just natural life. But what's sad about it, that's the one we run after so much. The natural man, the natural things. But the Holy Spirit says, huh, don't put too much stock in that one. I don't put much stock in it. So you better not put much stock in it. Give you an example of it. Luke 8, 14 says this. Now the one, speaking of the sower and the seed, once again, the seed is not the problem because the seed is the word of God. The problem is the soil that it falls on. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, bios, things that are natural, that makes the natural person feels good. Here's the problem. And bring no fruit to maturity. Then we have the next one is suke, or we can say psyche. We get the word psychology from. And that's that mental, the, the, the will, the emotions, the soul, what we should not really follow after. We should be following Jesus Christ. We shouldn't let the mind and the will and the emotion dictate to us how we should navigate this life. Jesus speaks of this. He says in Matthew 6, 25, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. 2022, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The answer to finding peace and rest for your soul is surrendering to Jesus Christ, sitting at his feet, learning of him, allowing him to have his way in our lives. But this third type of life that John is speaking of in verse four is Zoe. 
That's the life you, you need. That's the life that comes from being born again. You have to have a new birth in order to obtain Zoe life. It's a quality of life. It's a quality of life that's good for here and now and good for eternity. It's a quality of life no matter what's going on in your life. You still have that peace and comfort. That's what you need. John explains it like this in John 10, 10. Now notice what the thief comes to do and what he can do and what he cannot touch. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Suke bios. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. There it is, Zoe. And that they may have it more abundantly. That's the life we need. That's the life we have if we believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. He then says in verse 5, and we'll close with this verse, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Catalambano is the word for comprehend. And it has a range of meanings, and it depends on the context how you use it. There's really no English equivalent for this word. The primary meanings is to cease, to attack, to overpower, to hold without losing grip. But we use it here to comprehend. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. So what does John mean by this? Did the darkness not overpower it? The light didn't overpower the darkness? Or the darkness did not comprehend the light? I think it's a double meaning. Remember when the light, Jesus Christ, is crucified and they lay him in the tomb? Darkness there. No light there. In three days, he resurrects. Darkness could not hold him down. But I think more and more, if you read the next verse to that, Jesus is speaking of understanding this light. We didn't understand this light before we were born again. John tells us, no, the other synoptic gospel tells us the people were sitting in darkness until the light came. And Jesus Christ revealed himself to them. He will go through all the way through the book of John telling people, you're in darkness and you need the light. I'll give you an example here. John 8, verses 44, 45, and 47. Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. He tells them this. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer. From the beginning, he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. I like, I think it's the NIV who says he speaks his native tongue. That's just who he is. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me, Jesus says. And then he says in verse 47, 
He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not fear. You do not hear because you're not of God. Do we believe God this morning? Do we truly believe what he says to us? If so, remember this throughout the year of 2022 when 2 Corinthians tells us, but even our gospel is veiled. It is hidden. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, Satan, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Paul continues, for we, myself, and every pastor or elder that comes in this pulpit, do not preach ourselves, nor do we preach Donald Trump, nor do we preach Joe Biden, nor do we preach anything else but the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's how a life is changed through Jesus Christ. I will end where I started. The worship team can come up. It's about Jesus. In my heart, and I believe your hearts too, it's always been about Jesus. I don't rely. Things don't go my way sometimes. Whether it's my leaning in politics or my way at home. But my point is, I'm riding with Jesus Christ. I have my eyes on him. I know when I give up the ghost down here that I'm going to see his face. And I know I'm going to live and reign with him forever. I didn't start with grace, but I want to end with grace. As I was thinking about, we just finished the book of Romans and that chapter 14 of Romans all the way through chapter 15 of Romans spoke on unity, spoke about, don't even dispute over minor things, things that don't matter. The Holy Spirit said that. I didn't say it. He said it. Don't let those small things divide who you are in Christ Jesus. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about learning of him. Because as we learn more and more of him and, and yield by the Holy Spirit to him, all those things that you may, you may think is big, they become small. And then I begin to care about my brother and sister in Christ. I begin to want to know how they are doing. Is there any way I can help you and, and, and make your life easier? That's why Restore is here. That's why I planted this church. It's for all those people who may be broken that really want to know Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ of the scriptures. 
that they can come and hear that. I love you guys. I love you. Yes, I want you to love me. But one thing I'm going to do, and we're going to do, whoever gets in this pulpit, we're going to teach the word. No matter what's going on out in that world, we will discuss it here and there. But like Pastor Ed told me, after we discuss it, let's open up your Bible and dig in. That's what it's about. So pray for me, and I'll be praying for you like I do. We want to have a good year. I know that I know that I know that Jonathan Delgado and his family is here for a purpose, and it's a purpose to enrich the kingdom of God. He's a good man. He's a good man. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. It's so good. I, I miss being up here so much that the other guys are in trouble. I may not miss another Sunday because I miss seeing faces. And when I don't see faces, I just, I just miss them. Lord, I pray for everyone here that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That we would have a love relationship with him that we would let those minor things go by the wayside. What matters is saved and unsaved. Those are the things that's going to seal our faith in eternity. Yes, I will mention things here and there, but it will go right with the scripture. But Lord, we love you. Our eyes is on you. Lord, I pray for every family here, every family member here, Lord, that we will have, and they will have a great year this year. That we will walk closer to you, Lord, this year. I pray a blessing over every family member here, Lord. That we will have our ears in tune with your heart. I don't know what's going on in every family, Lord. I know Omicron is out here, and it's, even though it's not that uh, deadly as other viruses, Lord, it's still. It'll knock you down for a second. And I pray that we will all stay safe. I pray that you give the elders wisdom how we can combat it better. Maybe we need to start wearing the, the, the armbands again. We'll talk about all those things because I want people to feel safe when they come here. That we begin to sanitize things. I know we do that when we clean, but make sure everything is conducive to the climate outside, that we be wise. But after that, Lord... We're going to teach your word. And we're going to let the word do what it does in every believer's heart. And even for the unsaved, that they may come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we have a good year in you. May we walk close to you. May we rededicate our lives to you. May we be in your word and in the, in the scriptures and pray for one another. Because that's what you've called us to do. Father, have your way here at Calvary Restore. And I ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. 
amen, amen, and amen. The elders and the pastors will be up front. If anyone needs prayer, I need a little prayer too. The reason I'm joking now, well, I do need prayer. The reason I need a little prayer is because, my boys, we have our hands full (laughs) tomorrow at 8 o'clock. But either way it goes down, God is good. May you guys have a great week. You're dismissed. You need prayer, come up front. Have a great week. God bless you. Amen.